welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about a dirty little secret. And my guest is going to be taking us behind the scenes of this dirty little secret. The dirty little secret is coronavirus and hopelessness. That was a Freudian slip. Uh, Coronavirus and homelessness. And yes, uh, both of those. A lot of home hopelessness associated when you think about it. Um, before COVID-19, homelessness was the pandemic in the headlines. Now that uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 has taken over, um, what is happening with the homeless? What has been happening? Um, have they been forgotten or have they been getting extra special treatment? Has it been good for the homeless? Uh, or something in between. Today's guest is Michael Fisher, and he is the president of the New York Central Park South Civic Association. He is an advocate for the community, and um, he is um, an expert in homelessness and what has been happening in New York and how the homeless epidemic in New York has gotten to be higher than the it was during the Great Depression. Of course, in California, uh, we actually lead the nation in California in homelessness, but um, the numbers are outrageous in New York as well. So before I um, introduce Michael Fisher, let me just say that uh, as someone who was born and bred in New York City. It has been, um, I I have been from one day to the next more and more devastated by what has been happening uh, to New York, notably with de Blasio as the mayor and Cuomo as the governor. And um, New York is just falling apart before my eyes, before all of our eyes. And, uh, and of course, homelessness is, that was a problem when I was living in New York. I now live in California, but that was a problem when I was living there. But now it has grown to unbelievable proportions. So um, here to tell us about it is Michael Fisher. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Now, before we get into the homelessness issue, um, tell us about how, what, Tell us a little bit about you and how you got involved in the homelessness crisis to begin with. Well, I got involved in the homelessness crisis about three years ago, and kind of the way that that I got involved was that um, um, I live on a street that's um, one block from Central Park South. Central Park is right there. And um, so Mayor de Blasio decided that because they were building these very tall buildings on our street, uh, they refer to our street as Billionaire's Row with these tall buildings where you can't get an apartment in these buildings for less than like $50, 60000000 million. And they built uh, a number of them um, on 
58th Street, 57th Street. And so he decided that for optics, he'd have some fun. And he decided that he wanted to open up a homeless shelter that was backing up against one of those big, tall buildings. And so (laughs) the community um, was, was, was concerned because, you know, we know that when you open up a shelter, you, you have a lot of the, the homeless people that are going to be kind of hanging around in the streets and you get an increase in crime and drug use and so on and so forth. And so we, we got involved as a community uh, to look into the shelter. And what we found out about the shelter was that it was a fire trap. Um, we found out that the, the building that they wanted to put it in, uh, which is the, uh, the Park Savoy Hotel, which they haven't, they ha- has not opened up yet, and we're working on making sure that it never opens up again, never opens up as a shelter. Um, but the, the building itself had one winding staircase going up and down in the building. So in New York City, uh, in, a, uh, in a tall structure like this particular building, it's required by law that you have two means of egress. Uh, so with only one means of egress and a narrow winding staircase, if God forbid there's a fire, unfortunately, you're going to have a loss of life in that building. I mean, they didn't have sprinklers in the rooms. They had, they had sprinklers in the hallways, but not the rooms. And it just would have been a disaster. Uh, so we hired a bunch of experts who took a look at it. And, I mean, we had some amazing experts that are from the city. Uh, I mean, the fire department, uh, people that used to work for the Department of Homeless, uh, so people who really know their stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they put together affidavits that, the, that this building was a fire trap and you should, should never be used, you know, to house anybody in. And this particular building, the, the owner, ne- he used to run it as a hotel. He never even had the proper license to run it as a hotel. The city refused to give him a license to run it as a hotel because they said it was unsafe because it only had one means of egress. Yet, when Mayor de Blasio was so excited about putting that build, opening up that building as a shelter, backing up against the billionaire building where Michael Dell, Dell Computers, happens to have a penthouse, you know, he, he was willing to stop at nothing to do it, uh, even if it meant that, you know, he was putting human life in danger. So uh, right now, um, it has, from three years ago, it's, uh, it hasn't opened up, and uh, um, we're, we're making sure that it doesn't open up. So I got involved doing that, and then I started getting involved and learning a lot about the homeless crisis. Oh, wait, wait, and, wait, wait. Okay, wait, go ahead. wait. <laughs> wait a second, Mike. Let me stop you there because I have questions. Um, sure, go ahead. Okay, first of all, so what? Um, so if the Hotel Savoy didn't have a license to be a hotel, what was it before... Uh, Mayor de Blasio started talking about it becoming a homeless shelter. Well, it was a hotel. It was a hotel that didn't have a license to be a hotel. Oh. So he so was, he was operating you, illegally. It was, I see. Okay. So, you and, know, so what was interesting is when I, when I actually went into, uh, in the Internet and looked up people's comments about the hotel and what they thought of it, a lot of the comments were uh, narrow hallways, narrow staircase, scary elevator, you know, fire trap. People were actually concerned about uh-huh. their safety when they were staying there. Uh-huh. So, okay, so why couldn't, if Mayor de Blasio wanted to turn that into a homeless shelter, why couldn't he have just uh, done a renovation on it and, and, you know, put it up to code? Because to, to, uh, to build another staircase, it's a very narrow building, and to put another staircase in there would be very, very expensive and could take years to do. And uh, so it wasn't cost effective. So they were trying to find some technicalities. They knew in the beginning. The thing that we found out, uh, well, the thing that I found out through doing my homework was that he, they knew in the beginning that this building was a fire trap. They knew they were going to have problems with it. 
And so they did everything they could to try to rush it through without, uh, you know, uh, without having to do the proper things to make the building safe. Um, and so, um, I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. They didn't really, they didn't think we'd be able to figure it out. They didn't think that, uh, you know, they figured they would open it up and that would be that. And, you know, what scares me a lot is that you put human life in there and God forbid there's a fire, you know, and they don't even care. You know, what's interesting is I I had conversations with uh, somebody from the Department of Buildings, a commissioner, I had had some conversations with the commissioner of the Department of Homeless, and they just don't get it. I mean, they, they don't care. You know, I said, well, what would you do if, God forbid, you put people in there and, God forbid, there was a fire and people got killed? How would you feel about that? They respond, I, I could live with myself. So it's <laughs> very shocking. Oh, wow. Very, very shocking. You can't make it up. You really can't make it up. Well, now, of course, um, the first question that comes to mind, I'm sure my, some of my listeners are thinking about this, is... Sure. Um, that NIMBY, you know, not in my backyard, mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. and the people who you represent are just um, against it because they don't, you don't, you all don't want it on Billionaire's Row. You don't want, I mean, you don't want for the reasons that you said, you know, drugs and crime and so on. And so um, what do you say when people say, well, it's, what, say, say that again? Cost. It's also very expensive to put somebody in there. It's at least four or $5,000 a month per person. Very, very costly. And there's a lot more cost-effective things that they can do and, and, and buildings and land that they can go to that would be a lot less costlier than that. And based on that, if you're, you know, he wants to open up 90 shelters around the city, uh, that's going to cost a billion dollars to, you know, it's going to bankrupt the city at some point because if you keep opening up these shelters in very, very expensive areas, the city eventually is not going to have the funds to be able to pay for it. There's just more, there's more cost-effective ways they can do it, and, there's, and these, these shelters are not really designed to really do any kind of, um, you know, to, to really help these people, to rehabilitate these people, to get them, you know, back into job training and, and potentially back, you know, in, into maybe affordable housing, and job, get a job and then into affordable housing. So, um, so as far as NIMBY is concerned, um, to be perfectly honest with you, from my perspective, I mean, it's... It, it, there's shelters all around the city. It does, didn't really matter to me from that standpoint. Um, it mattered me, to me more that the building was unsafe. Now, of course, there are people that don't want the shelter on their streets, and you know, I understand why. I mean, because you're going to have people hanging out all over the place there, people doing drugs, and you do have an increase of crime. And then for some people, the value um, of their real estate is going to go down. So, I mean, that's completely understandable from that perspective. But from my perspective... Uh, what really got me very frustrated and the reason why I formed the uh, Central Park Civic Association, not only to deal with this, but to other issues that we're facing in the city, was because um, I realized that the mayor was spending $3 billion a year on the homeless crisis, and we're, we're having an increase in the homeless crisis. We're having more and more people on the streets. A lot of the people that live on the streets don't want to even go into shelters because uh, they're mentally ill. And they're afraid to go in the shelters. They get robbed. They get beat up. So they stay in the streets. So you're having a, 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 an increase um, in, in the homeless population that are living on the streets. And now, unfortunately, you know, with uh, the virus, the COVID virus and everything, um, the, the, the reality with that is, you know, the, the people potentially having to leave their homes because they can't afford to pay their mortgages or rent. You're going to find more people that maybe are becoming drug addicts because they don't have a job and they can't pay their bills or alcoholics and they themselves will be on the streets. And the, the city, uh, this city along with other cities around the country don't have programs in place that are designed to actually get them off the streets and rehabilitate them 
for the purpose of trying to get them back into jobs and then back, you know, into affordable housing where they can live a normal life. So the plans that they have done so far um, in, in New York um, have not really, have just been to the extent that uh, they've been doing anything. Um, they, it has just been to get people into, under, with roofs over their heads rather than providing any alcohol and drug rehab or any job vocational training or anything like that. Is Correct. that what you're saying? So basically, right, the purpose is to get them off the streets into these shelters. But like I said, the majority of people don't want to go into the shelters. They stay on the streets. So, you know, I think it's cruel that when you leave human life to run on the streets. I think that's a main thing to do, to turn your head and, and say, look, if they want to sleep on the streets, then let them sleep on the streets. I mean, you have a lot of these people, unfortunately, that are defecating in the streets. Um, they're doing drugs on the streets. It's, it's a terrible situation. You know, there's, there's what we should be doing, New York, California, all the major states that have a homeless crisis is we should be partnering with the federal government. We should be sitting down and having a summit with the federal government, coming up with some solutions to try to resolve this problem. I mean, there's there's plenty of, for example, I know that there's a lot of military bases that uh, are no longer military bases. They shut them down. So there's some that are vacant. You could utilize those places. There are empty buildings that the state and federal government have that they can use. There's empty land they could build on. They could do this a lot for a lot less cost. And then they can create modern rehabilitation facilities where you bring people in. You're not going to rehabilitate everybody, but you want to, but, but you want to get them off the streets at least, you know, into one of these facilities. And if you can rehabilitate them, that's great. And if you can train, job, get them trained for a job, or maybe they can get back into what they used to do. And, uh, and then help them with some affordable housing. That's what you really want to do. But you also want to keep in mind the bottom line. I mean, you don't want to bankrupt the city by doing it either. I mean, right now, for example, um, what they're doing is they've, they've, the city has uh, basically gone to quite a few three- to five-star hotels around the city, and they're moving the homeless into these, into these hotels. A lot of these hotels are temporarily shut down you know, because of the virus, so they're moving the, 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 the uh, quite thousands of homeless people into these, into these hotels. And, uh, you know, the challenge with that is that once you get them into these hotels, you're not going to be able to get them out. And so we're going to have hotels all over the city with homeless people. And it's going to be very costly. Now, right now, the federal government pays 70% of that cost for the rooms themselves just because of the virus. You know, once the virus passes and things get back to normal, the city's going to have to pick up that cost. And it's just not the right way to go about it. You know, they, 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 what they do is they put the homeless into these, into the hotels, uh, in all these different communities. They don't give the communities any kind of warning or don't give them any, the ability to really give any input on it. And it hurts the communities and it hurts the businesses because you have, the reality is, is you have the homeless people that are going to go out and hang out on the streets and, uh, you're going to have an increase of crime and an increase of drug use there. And it's just, what what we should be doing is we should be examining alternate ways that we can take care of the homeless people to get them off the street permanently and get them in a situation where they, where we can try to rehabilitate them. And this, for whatever reason, none of these cities want to get involved with that. It's almost as if they'd rather leave them on the streets. It's easier for them to do that. And the reason why it's tough to remove them from the streets um, is because the ACLU filed uh, a lawsuit and won, and basically what, what it says is that you can't remove a homeless person by law from the streets unless they're a danger to themselves and a danger to other people. 
So, you know, you could have homeless encampment camps being built everywhere and there's nothing you can really do about it. And in fact, that's what's happening in the city. You have a lot of the, these camps that are being built around the city. You have a lot of the homeless that are in hotels. You have them living along the streets. And I was walking around the city, uh, you know, I mean, recently just kind of walking up and down some of the streets. You see needles on the streets. I've never seen that before. Hmm. Hmm. So, um, so like there are tents now in a lot, are there tents on Billionaire Row? No, there's not. There's no, we don't have any tents over there, but you do have them in other parts of the city. Uh-huh. The city coined the phrase well, Billionaire's you know, Row. Isn't... Uh-huh. Well, you know, the real problem for, um, that explains most of the homeless or many of the homeless, really most, um, well, I don't know, the numbers are changing now because of coronavirus and so on, but but for uh, the majority of the time, before coronavirus, let's say, um, a big part of the problem is the closing of the state mental hospitals. Um, you know, the, they when that happened and they didn't really have places in the community for the uh, patients to then stay and get outpatient treatment, they became homeless. Um, they didn't. They would get discharged from psych- acute psychiatric hospitals, and then they would stop taking their medication, and then um, they would get psychotic, and they wouldn't be able to work, of course, or or, and you know, and those who had drug abuse would go on and continue using drugs. And I mean, that that's the real um, bottom line, the cause of all this. And the, those who aren't didn't become homeless are now sitting in jail. So the real, that's the root of, I trained at NYU Bellevue, and I also did some work at Manhattan Psychiatrics uh, Center, and so I know about all of this. When we come back, we'll talk more about the homeless and the problem, and a really more complex problem now with coronavirus. So my guest is Michael Fisher, so we'll be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Michael Fisher. He is the president of the New York Central Park South Pacific Association. The president of New York Central Park South Pacific Association. You would think I would know that as a native New Yorker. Um, we were talking, before the break, we were talking about some of the causes of homelessness and so on. Tell us about uh, some of the things that you've been doing. One of the things um, is have, writing to President Trump. So tell us about that. Well, one of the things that I want to try to do, um, and I started working on this before the coronavirus hit, was to get a summit together between the state and the federal government to, to sit down with a lot of experts, to sit down with um, you know, all the different states to have these issues and, and talk about it and talk about solutions, what we can do to try to, re- to uh, get homeless people off the streets and help them and get them into, you know, serious, healthy kind of rehabilitation programs. I mean, you and I were talking earlier about the, uh, the mental institutions back in the 70s and 80s. And, uh, you know, the, a lot of those places were just terrible places and they really didn't do much to help people. So what, what, we, what I wanted to try to do is, is to start a conversation about, you know, getting more modern types of facilities built uh, in less expensive places so that we can try to help people and get them off the streets. And uh, so what I did was, um, um, well, what happened was uh, the, the president made a comment to the governor out in California and said, you know, clean up San Francisco, which has a, a very, very bad crisis with the homeless on the streets. And, uh, you know, where we're going to bring the federal government in. So uh, I wrote the president and said, well, why don't you do the same with de Blasio? And he, so he did. He told de Blasio to get his act together. And, uh, you know, de Blasio, I don't think has a real handle on the homeless crisis. I think it's just, uh, for him, it's just really a pain in the neck thing that he has to deal with, you know, but he doesn't really have a handle on the issues and, and what really needs to get done to resolve the problem. And he seems to think that, New York City is not going to have a homeless crisis in five years. Yeah, the homeless crisis continues to grow, and it's getting worse and worse on the streets. Yes, because, uh, of course, now people who wouldn't have become homeless, you know, who who had jobs and were able to pay for apartments, uh, now with coronavirus, of course, some of those people are now going to become part of the homeless. Um, so um, what about... So, so getting back to, you know, it's such an interesting phenomenon psychologically to think about because, and this has been happening in San Francisco too, actually, um, where some of the hotel, because of coronavirus and people being afraid to stay in hotels, uh, some hotels have been used uh, to, you know, some of the homeless have been put in hotels, um, in fancy, you know, <laughs> some fancy hotels. What um, is your observation as far as what has been happening to these hotels that have taken in the homeless? Well, I mean, you have, I mean, there's a situation in Brooklyn, for example, where people were renting, you know, three to $5,000 units in a building, which was partially a hotel. And they converted half that building into uh, a shelter 
So now you have these people living in that kind of environment, and what they're seeing is that there's a lot of drug use throughout the hotel in the lobby in the front of the hotel. Uh, There's a lot of just, you know, fighting. The crime is up and everything else. It's not a very, you know, pleasant situation at all. And, um, And so, you know, you have people that need help. This is a very, very serious situation. They're, they're put in these environments. And the city, you know, I've heard that the city, to keep people, try to keep them in the rooms, is, is giving alcohol and drugs, you know, just to keep them in the hotel from going out on the streets. I mean, this, this is a very reactive approach to the, uh, the homeless crisis as well as, you know, to the, the coronavirus. And, and what they're trying to do is they say is to help the homeless, you know, get into hotels so they don't catch the virus or spread the virus. Um, but it's very reactive, like everything else with the government. You know, they, they see a problem and they react quickly to it. And they oh, let's, right. let's rent out thousands of hotel rooms and just get them in there, but they don't have a plan in place at all to really deal with the problem once they're in the hotels. Um, and you have really so serious problems there, with that. I mean, go ahead. Well, is, so is go there ahead. any, did they put any mental health professionals in these hotels or any police in these hotels? Or I can't believe what you just said about that they're giving them drugs and alcohol to keep them in their rooms. And, that's and is that's corona, what I've heard. Is coronavirus, is coronavirus um, spreading like wildfire in these hotels? Well, first of all, that's what I heard. I haven't seen that firsthand. So that, that's what I've yeah. heard happens. Um, as far yeah. as the, um, okay, so you, uh, the coronavirus. So what was happening was they were finding that the virus was spreading in the shelters because the, the beds were very close together. So what they did was they decided they're putting, they're still putting two to a room. So, you know, you put 300 people in a hotel, two to a room. I mean, I don't know if that's going to prevent the virus from spreading. Now, remember, homeless people have very weak, many of them have very weak immune systems. So they're more likely to catch the virus. So if you ask me what are the numbers of people that actually have the virus in the city, they're not making that information public. We don't really know. We don't know how many people have caught the virus, nor do we know how many people actually caught the virus from homeless people, you know, just walking on the streets. Um, A a good example of that um, is the subways. I mean, the subways themselves have become a a homeless shelter. Um, You have... Um, hundreds if not thousands of homeless people that ride the subways every day and sleep in the subways. And, you know, when you think about a subway, it's underground. You know, the, the, these are very closed in. So you had quite a few homeless people that weren't wearing masks mm. and they were defecating in the subways and the city wasn't doing anything about it. I mean, what they ended up doing because they were under a lot of pressure from people like me. I mean, I was on the media all over the place and there were quite a few other people that were also complaining about it, was they ended up saying, okay, so we're going to close down between 1 and 5, 5 a.m. in the morning, and we're going to make sure everybody leaves the train, and we're going to sanitize the train. But then, of course, the next day rolls around, they go back on the train. But when they were leaving the train, where did they go? They went to the buses. So they're still within huh. the transportation system. And, you know, my concern about that was, well, how many people who were riding the subways, maybe essential workers to get to the hospitals, maybe over the last three or four months, just people coming in from New Jersey, Long Island, all over the place, riding the subways, potentially catching it that way. I mean, remember, we had pretty huge numbers of people with the virus in New York for a while. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible they could have caught it that way. And um, I mean, it's pretty common sense that you, you, you don't want to have people just sleeping in the subways, urinating and defecating in the subways that it's a very unhealthy situation. And it's probably even more common sense 
that when there's a, a virus like this spreading, you know, you don't want people living in, the, in these subways and coughing and sneezing all over the place and touching the seats and, and everything and then the handles and everything else. And so, again, there was no real thought behind that either. I mean, every time, you know, we would ask, you know, why don't you, ch- what, what I suggested was um, take the homeless people off the subways, move them into the Javits Convention Center. I mean, Javits Convention Center was set up with hundreds, if not thousands of hospital beds, you know, so they could have moved them in there temporarily, you know, um, but right. just to get them off the subways. Right. Because you had your essential workers, you know, you had your your police, you had your uh, the nurses and doctors getting to their jobs, and you know they they certainly don't want to ride on a subway and then potentially catch it from somebody. Right. And um, you know, so we recommended that we recommended well, why don't you maybe have the federal government come in and help you build some portable shelters to move them into, and they didn't do that. So what they decided to do is we'll we'll just move everybody into hotels. So they're not moving everybody in, but they've moved. Uh, probably twelve to 13,000 people in the hotel rooms. Right now, 20% of the hotel rooms in Manhattan are occupied by the homeless. 20%. So how, but how is it, like when I lived in New York, the, there was nobody desiccated, well, I won't say nobody, I mean the odd person here and there, but for the most part, there was nobody uh, urinating or defecating, well, maybe urinating in the corners, but like defecating in the subways or the subway stations. Uh, how, what happened? How did this, um, how did, you know, why did the government let this happen? Why aren't there more, um, uh, you know, uh, transportation police or workers who are in the uh, subways and subway stations and stopping people from urinating and defecating? Well, it's leadership. It's leadership. Okay, so, you know, when... Um um, when de Blasio came into office, he looked at things differently. You know, you had, you know, when you had a Bloomberg in, in office, you had Giuliani in office, their approach was, you know, we need to get them off the streets. Whereas when, with de Blasio, he, he's more like, let them stay on the streets. They have a right to be on the streets. By taking them off the streets, you know, you're violating their rights. And so that's, huh. that's what happened. You know, it's interesting, you, you mentioned defecating. Um, somebody in my building took a video, literally somebody across the street was defecating on, in the street in daylight, Central Park South, and they videoed it, <laughs> and they sent it around. I actually sent it to our councilman. He's a very progressive councilman, so you know, he doesn't really care. I care about it because I think it's unhealthy, uh, just like I think it's unhealthy right. to have needles in the streets. Um, right. So, um, you know, you wouldn't even believe Central Park South, and, and, and this is a message that I like to send out to the Ritz-Carlton Hotel on Central Park South. They boarded up the hotel. It's boarded up right now. And, you know, it, it just, it looks terrible. And I've, and I've tried to contact the, the Ritz-Carlton, take the boards down, you know. And I don't know if they have any intention of potentially opening up their hotel to homeless people or not. And it's a, I'm not saying they're going to do that. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. That's certainly their decision. But, um, but, you know, that would to have a, a shelter open up right there, I think, would be very dangerous because it's right by Central Park. It's, uh, this, this used to be the most crowded area of the city. You know, now you, 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 it's not as crowded anymore because of the virus. And you have a boarded-up hotel. I mean, it's, it looks terrible. I would be embarrassed. I mean, I, I don't understand why the, risk, the parent company, which is Marriott, would, would allow that to happen. It doesn't look well, good. Well, is it that they... But but are they doing it because of the looters and the rioters? 
Well, we don't have any looting and rioting going on right now. I mean, there there was some stuff going on uh, maybe two months ago, but uh, I think things have calmed down a little bit, you know, in that area. Now, the other thing to answer your question about, you know, you know, why are we letting these things happen? I mean, because, you know, the other thing is, is, is Mayor de Blasio has cut our police force by a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. We used to have plainclothesmen on mm-hmm. the street. Now he's taking them off the streets. Now we're seeing a 200% increase in crime. We're seeing shootings every day, you know, throughout the city. And, uh, you know, people don't feel safe in that kind of environment. People don't feel safe walking on streets where you have people shooting up with drugs, you know, along the streets when they see people defecating, um, you know, when they see a lot of people that are camped out along the streets. People don't feel safe working in that environment. You know, uh, the, the scariest thing is, is with this type of leadership, we're looking at a city pretty much going going the way of the 1970s, which was not a very pretty time for the city. Um, and that's something we want to try to avoid. I mean, we want to encourage people to stay, not leave. We had between March and June, approximately four to 500,000 people have left the city. They don't want to be there anymore. I mean, New York City has been one of the most, it is the most popular city in the world. It's amazing. I, I love the city. It's my favorite place. And there's so much to do in the city. But now people are leaving. You know, retail stores are struggling. A lot of them are going out of business. Restaurants are going out of business. Um, they only allow restaurants to serve food on the street. You know, what they should be doing is at least allowing restaurants to, you know, allocate maybe 25% of their seating to customers inside the restaurants. It's really hurting yeah. their business a lot. I mean, a lot of people don't want to eat on the streets. I mean, I was, I was going up and down the streets looking at some of the restaurants that had outside seating uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, there's garbage on the streets. I mean, they're just not keeping some of the streets as clean as they used to. So you see garbage on the streets. You see some needles on the streets. Um, you, you see um, a very sad situation where you see homeless people. I just I get very sad when I see homeless people sleeping on the streets because they deserve better than that from us. You know, especially the year mm-hmm. 2020, they deserve much better than that from us. From us. And uh, so, well, you know, people when they don't want to see that, so they leave the city. It's, living in the city is very expensive. So if all of a sudden you're you're living in a small apartment and you're like, well, I don't want to live in this kind of environment. The crime is going up. Restaurants are closing down. Retail stores are going out of business. I'm going to leave the city and, and it'll cost me a lot less money. And you have lower interest rates. And that's what's happening. People are leaving the city as quickly as they can. And what and, you know, so, the I politicians mean, I, I, should be doing is they should be addressing that. Yes. Um, yes, because, well, I mean, I knew people were li- leaving the city, but I-, I thought most of that was temporary. Are you, what percentage of that or how many people do you think are leaving permanently? I think quite a few people are leaving permanently. I mean, look, if you own a, there's a lot of people that maybe are wealthy, they own expensive apartments. Uh, maybe some of them are going to sell them. Other people will hold on to them, but they're, but they're leaving to live other places. Now, a, a, a big population that we get coming into the city are kids. They graduate college. They want to come to the city. They want to live there. And uh, it's the greatest city in the world. It's a great place to live, great social life, great shopping, great restaurants, bars, cultural. I mean, you have all of the museums and art museums, and it's just a, it's an amazing place. But now all of a sudden, these kids, are, they can't get out of the city quick enough. Because they, there's nothing to do in the city. They're scared to be in the city. They, you know, the crime rate is going up, and they feel that uh, it's safer to be somewhere else. I mean, one of my sons, he, he lives in the city. He's left. He doesn't want to be in the city. And you couldn't, uh, six months ago or, or five months ago, you couldn't get him out of the city. 
You can you can get most of these kids to leave the city. Now all of a sudden they want to, they can't wait to get out of the city. This, the politicians need to address this. They need to focus on this a little bit to make sure that we're not going to lose everybody like this. Because in the end, what's going to happen is you're going to lose a lot of taxpayers who contribute a lot of tax dollars towards these very liberal programs that these politicians want to you know have in the cities. They're not going to have the money to do these things. So they need to yeah, they better watch yeah. out. Absolutely. Where did your son move to? He's living on Long Island right now. Uh huh. Yeah, I guess that's where a lot of believe it or not, it's less expensive. Yes, it's less expensive there Mm -hmm. than in the city. When you're when you're Mm -hmm. when you're kind of locked up in your apartment all day long and there's not much to do, I mean, all of a sudden the city has now become a boring place. I mean, even when I walk around, I find myself being you know because there's less police officers. I I find myself being a little bit you know I'm I'm just kind of looking around just to make sure it's safe wherever I'm going, especially at nighttime because there are less police. What they should be doing is they should be um, they should not be cutting the police. I think if you go to the majority of people in the city and say what should they do with the police, people are going to say don't cut the police. If anything, maybe add more police. What they should be doing though yeah. is you know going through police records. If if, if some of these people have a history of of uh, violence and they've been written up for as policemen, then you get rid of them. Uh, maybe psychological testing to make sure they're, that they're fit to be on the streets. You know, uh, you know, ed- better educating them, doing things like that, I think would be a good thing to do. But to cut, just to arbitrarily cut people is, is not safe. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I've been talking about this. Defunding the police is the craziest idea. And when I first heard about it, I thought, you know, this is part of Corona crazy. People were just, uh, had gone cra- literally crazy. Well, we need to take another break. My guest is Michael Fisher. He is a community advocate and president of New York's Central Park South Civic Association. I'm Dr. Carol. You're, uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. We'll be talking more about the homeless, uh, coronavirus. I want to talk also about, uh, I'm sure you have something to say, I would guess, about um, something I'm also irate about is uh, what Cuomo did in terms of putting COVID-positive nursing people homes. into nursing homes. Yes. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll free right now. 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. Um, I'm your psychiatrist host, and we're talking today about dirty little secrets uh, about coronavirus and homelessness and all kinds of other things in regard to homelessness and how tragic it is, and um, my guest guest is uh, an advocate for his community, and and for not just really for your community, but for the homeless as well, trying to find better solutions than what has been happening. Um, I wanted to comment on some things that you mentioned um, in particular, one thing about the ACLU and, and, um, you know, uh, the ACLU sticking up for the homeless, uh, st- I put, I should say sticking up uh, facetiously because really getting them saying that they can only be removed from the streets if they are a danger to self or others is ridiculous. The psychiatric um, standard for being hospitalized against your will uh, in New York and pretty and California and pretty much ev- anywhere is to be a danger to self or a danger to others or gravely disabled, meaning that you can't put a roof over your head and feed yourself, which, of course, the homeless fit under. So how the ACLU managed to get that passed that, um, you know, in other words, in order to make it so that the homeless aren't put in psychiatric hospitals as a, as a, as gravely disabled, um, is outrageous, you know, and it really is no favor to the homeless people who would be a lot better off. I mean, really, you know, there really weren't, I mean, the, the, the days of when state hospitals were, uh, cuckoo's nest were, are long past. It was before the seventies. Um, and so, you know, there are lots of hospitals that were doing great jobs. It was just when the government started um, closing them or started defunding them that uh, fewer patients were able to be kept there a long enough time to actually send them back onto the streets in a stable state. So when they would be sent back on the streets after three days instead of uh, three weeks or three months, then they would be more likely to stop taking their medication and and um, and not being able, you know, not following through with their appointments and not keeping a job and and so on. Um, so that is, you know, it's it really hurt the ACLU. Really hurt the homeless people instead of helping them. I mean, what's 
you know, now they have the rights to be able to walk around and not be treated and, and um, be able to defecate wherever they want and not have food and not have a roof over their head. So it's really um, pretty awful. One thing I just want to talk for a bit about, because this, uh, this is something that, that really is, um, has been making me crazy. I mean, I've been seeing lots of things about New York. My heart is still in New York. You can take the girl out of New York, but you can't take the New York out of the girl. And so even though I love California for many reasons, um, my heart is really still in New York, which is why also um, I became the terrorist therapist uh, after 9-11, even though by then I had already moved to California from New York. But anyhow, um, the thing that is driving me, one of the things that has been driving me nuts about New York is um, what Cuomo did and his health commissioner, Howard Zucker, when they put people in nursing homes who were COVID positive. And they knew, of course, that this would, you know, that the people who were living in these nursing homes were the most vulnerable population, elderly, uh, underlying conditions. So putting... Um, putting somebody who's COVID positive into a nursing home was like lighting a match to the nursing home. And I know there are um, lawsuits against Cuomo and it's probably Zucker also. You can tell us about that. But beyond these lawsuits, uh, I think they should be tried for murder. What can you tell us about that? Well, I mean, I think you pretty well, pretty much stated it pretty well. I mean, bottom line is, is, I mean, you think about it for a minute. There's a virus that we know spreads very quickly from one human being to another. We knew it back then. And they knew, he, he signed off approval to put them into these nursing homes. I mean, where's the common sense there? Again, it's reactive. It's like not even thinking it through. And sometimes I think like, Politicians do things just so quickly. They react to problems so quickly they don't think them through. And that ended, the yeah. result of that was thousands of people dying. Thousands. Yeah. And it, yeah. it, it, was, it was, I mean, it was just plain stupidity. And, but what I, what I find really troubling about the whole thing, okay, when you've made a terrible mistake like that, and it was a very bad mistake, resulted in people dying, people's lives, you know, people children had their parents in there and, you know, and they, they couldn't even see their, you know, they didn't, they weren't even allowed to go in there anymore to see their, to see their parents yeah. or relatives. But what's, what, what's really sad about this whole thing was that he's blaming it on the federal government. He's blaming it on Trump. He's, he's saying it's Trump's fault. I mean, look, take ownership. You know, if you did something that you shouldn't have done, you made a mistake Okay, there was a lot of stuff going on at the time. Don't start blaming everybody else for it. This doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. It makes it, it, it's, it makes it even worse when you start doing that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, <laughs> these are the people who blame Trump for everything. Uh -huh, even the coronavirus. It was Trump who spread the coronavirus I and mean, who brought the coronavirus into the United States, you know? Um, so what is the update on these lawsuits and so on? in regard to the nursing homes. Yeah, I don't really, I, I don't follow that too closely, but you know, I do know there's, I mean, there's quite a few people that are, that are filing, loss, filing lawsuits. I mean, I, it's, it's just a, just a terrible, terrible situation. I mean, um, there's, I forgot her name, but there's a woman who does the, the weather on uh, Fox and Friends in the morning 
and uh, two of her, her, I think her, her, two of her in-laws died in the nursing home. I mean, you know, and she was very vocal about it. I mean, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. It shouldn't have happened. I mean, it should have been thought through. Nobody thought this thing through. I mean, when the crisis hit, and we, we knew that there was a crisis, we knew there was a problem, we knew it was developing, we knew it was spreading, nobody thought it through. And everybody started yeah. blaming everybody else. You know, even with the homeless, nobody thought it through. Nobody was testing the homeless. Nobody was, help, you know, trying to help the homeless on the streets, um, giving them water, food, nothing. You know, they weren't doing anything. And it was just getting worse and worse. And it's just very, it's very sad to see how poorly this whole thing has been handled by New York. And New York had the most deaths and had the largest number of people that caught the virus, or at least I know for fact most deaths, the most deaths out of any state in the country. And that's because of very poor handling of this crisis, especially with the nursing homes. And it shouldn't have happened. It's very, very sad. I mean, and, it's just... And do you, know, do you know why you were mentioning before about, um, about the Javits Center? And there was also the mm-hmm. ship that came to New York, and that didn't get filled mm-hmm. up with coronavirus patients either. No. Do you know no. why that was? What happened with both because, of those places? Because it turned, you know... While you heard Como complaining that he didn't have enough respirators and enough this and enough that, you know, they brought the ship in. Uh, the federal government came in and made uh, the Javits Center, you know, into, you know, into a hospital with thousands of beds. And, uh, but it turned out that they didn't need those, that many beds. But what they could have done, what I would have done, is instead of moving the homeless into hotels, I would have moved them in, I would have moved them in the Javits Center and I might have even moved him onto the ship until this crisis is over. Oh, That's what I would have done. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that would seem to make a lot more sense. They could have. Yeah, they could have done that. They could have taken them off the subways, helped them, helped them off the subways, gotten them into you know better conditions for them, um, and, and, and testing them to make sure they didn't have the virus. And if they did, make sure they treated them. They could have done all these things, and. You know, they didn't, they just didn't do anything. They, they waited and waited and waited. And then suddenly a month ago, not even a month ago, all right, we'll, we'll put them in hotel rooms after the fact. This doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. You can't make this well, so up. How you is really it, can't make this up. I know. How is it that, um, I mean, why aren't there, why aren't there uh, riots in the street against, um, against de Blasio and Cuomo. Like, how is it that these guys who are so obviously inept and making all these rash and bad decisions are still allowed to stay in office? Why isn't there some kind of, uh, I mean, instead of the looting of stores, there should have been a coup against uh, them. You know, know, the one thing that I learned um, in just getting involved in the last three years with this was that most people just don't want to get involved. You know, you have a very small number of people, and you're, you're talking thousands of people around the country that are, you know, that are protesting and, and some that are rioting, you know, and then you have people that just, that are just kind of watching it and not, they don't really want to do anything about it. They just sit back and they let the politicians handle it. And that's why we have a lot of these problems. You know, if you had more people say, you know what, I'm tired of these politicians. I don't like what they're doing in my city. I'm voting them out. I'm going to vote somebody else in. Look, if you're, I always say, look, if you're a Democrat and you don't like what's going on, put a Republican in. Send a message to your politicians that you're not happy with what's going on in the city and you're not going to give them another shot at, at being in that position because you don't like the work they're doing. But I think so, people, have so to, why, yeah, people have to vote. Yes. 
Why aren't they being recalled, though? Like, when does when does de Blasio come up next? How many more years does he have? Uh, the good news is is uh, he has another year and four months. So 2021, he will be out of office. Uh, there'll be an election, be and uh, that'll be that. It's going to be and a big be job out. for the next person. It's going to be a big job for the next person to... Uh, to tackle because it's really, it's just, it's, it, it just tears my heart out to see what's happening to this city that I love, both the way they had the police stand down, now defunding the police, now what they're doing with the homeless. I mean, you know, you couldn't have made it worse. Like, you couldn't have dreamed this up to be worse. And it's just, it's just uh, yeah. really awful. Well, you I'm glad people you like the- you went. Thank you. I was going to say, you have to run the city like a business. You have to run it like a business. Number one, you want to keep people from leaving the city. You want to make the city look, be a great place for people who want to visit from around the world, which helps to build the city revenues. And you want to have, you know, Central Park. You want it to be safe. You want it to be a place for people to enjoy. And they just, the politicians just seem to be doing the opposite. And it's not a good situation, not a pretty situation at all. Well, I'm sure you'll be active uh, when it comes uh, near the election time of 2021. Well, thank you so much, uh, Michael Fisher, for joining us and telling us, taking us behind the scenes of what is going on in New York. But um, I guess I'll, I'll end with, you know, New York was able to come back and thrive after 9-11. So um, I am hopeful that the same thing will happen. It's just sad that um, the terrorists were the politicians in New York, not the uh, radical Islamists. It's all about leadership. You're very welcome. Thank you. Yes. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 